We are nearing the end of our study of the book of Revelation, and today's lesson talks to us about forecasting the future. Our study leader, Dave Wurtson, introduces his discussion with some contemporary predictions from an article on the future, and then he goes on to summarize the incredible prophecies that John the Apostle makes in the book of Revelation. Listen, and then you decide who you will trust when it comes to forecasting the future, and more specifically, your future. Now let's join Dave and discover some revelation about forecasting the future. Exercise will promote mental well-being as well as healthier bodies, helping people fight chronic pain, depression, chemical dependence, and even schizophrenia. Boy, the new world is coming. The 21st century could see widespread infertility and falling birth rates. Not such good news. Farmers will become genetic engineers. Farmers, did you know this? Growing vaccines as well as food. The worldwide conception of meat, and because Dave Wurtson is contributing very much to this, will double by 20,050. 90% of the world's 6,000 languages could go extinct by 2100. So that's a real push for Wycliffe to be able to reach their goals of providing the scripture in the heart language of the people. Water scarcity could threaten 1 billion people by 20,025, and so we really need to pray for rain. We've already been doing that. The human population will level off, and uh, while pet populations will increase dramatically, so the veterinarians are going to do really well in 20,035. Well, obviously, the predictions from the book of Revelation are a little bit more breathtaking than, aren't you glad for God's inspired word? And then I got to thinking about it, looking back over my life, some of the predictions that were made. Khrushchev banging his shoe on the United Nations saying, we will bury you. And now the Soviet Union's completely divided up. I remember the economists saying that the United States is going to become a second-rate economic power to Japan. And obviously, that hasn't happened. Some guys discovered the chip, and things really exploded with that. And then, what about the, all the Y2K predictions, the disasters that would come? And we all predicted, man, look what's going to happen when we all had a January 1st kind of a normal thing. So from Nikita Khrushchev to trying to predict Y2K, the human predictors of the future don't do a very good job. And that's why as we close the book of Revelation and we think about predicting the future, I want you to think really hard about what John the Apostle has predicted. Because he hasn't just made statements about having microchips in our arms and having our health care monitored. And he hasn't just made general statements like maybe fertility will go up, maybe it'll go down. But the Apostle John has actually laid out for us in chapters 2 and 3 what it's going to be like in the churches throughout the world Throughout the entire church age, he described the kind of conditions that would be present. The temptations towards idolatry, the temptations towards materialism, the temptations towards false teaching. As we look over 2,000 years of church history right now, John's predictions about what the church age would be like are right exactly what's happened. In fact, as we studied those letters together we found that those tendencies are present right in our own lives and we could see the incredible accuracy that John had as an inspired prophet in laying out what the churches would face until Jesus Christ would come back. Then John the Apostle risked it all. He went right to the culmination of human history, the last seven years. 
and he predicted what's going to take place in a future that I think is still future to us. And he warned us about the tremendous movements towards world government. He warned us about a, a Hitler kind of an individual, like an antichrist, who's going to rise to power during the last days before Christ comes back. He warned us about the incredible push towards one world religion and one world government and all those tendencies. And then he described to us the tremendous conflict that was going to take place between the people of God and the people that are secularists and choose to live anti the word of God and living just for this present world scene. And then he risked everything and described how it's all going to end up. And he had Jesus, the Messiah, coming back. He had the same Jesus that came here 2,000 years ago, invading human history, coming to Jerusalem, setting up a worldwide kingdom for a thousand years, and then he concluded that period with a great white throne judgment where the destiny of all those that reject Jesus are going to be sealed forever and ever. And then he introduced us to the new heaven and the new earth. Even the internet age, there's a tremendous interest in the future. And there's many people that you're going to come in contact with. Maybe some of you are sitting right here. You're interested in the Futurist magazine and you're interested in all these different kind of modern predictions that are made. I want to really encourage you to ask yourself, how can I know that these things are true? In fact, every single few years, there's kind of a cycle where the prophecies of Nostradamus will become very powerful again and people will be looking into them and, and reading them and they'll think that, man, look at these, these very special writings that predicted all these things. And yet when you go back and really analyze Nostradamus and you look at the primary sources and look at what he was really saying, you find out that his accuracy is, is way, way down the list and he, he wouldn't be someone that you could depend upon. I went into a bookstore yesterday down in Hillsborough, and as I was in that bookstore, I noticed that the, the section on the New Age and the occult was just as large as the section on Bibles and Christian kind of literature. Just equal book sections. And it shows you the kind of society that we're living in, and that's exactly what John the Apostle predicted was going to occur in the last days. As we close the book of Revelation, one of the big questions that I raise in my own mind is, how can I be sure that John the Apostle is telling me the truth? I mean, this business of predicting the future is really risky business. How can I be sure that what I read in the book of Revelation is what I should build my life upon? And that's why John the Apostle closes his book as we turn to Revelation chapter 22, verse 6. The Apostle John begins his epilogue. He begins his close to the book of Revelation. And like any good author, in his close, he kind of highlights and underscores some really important facts and truths that we need to recognize. He says this in verse 6. He says, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. The Apostle John has received his revelation. We begin in chapter 1 with the Apostle John telling us that on the Lord's Day, on a Sunday, just like this, as he was being exiled on the island of Patmos, John the Apostle went into a spiritual inspired state. And this was the real thing mysticism and the, if you're a Jewish, the Kabbalah, 
is all involved in mysticism. Kabbalah and Judaism will talk to you about taking journeys into the divine. In all the different postmodern expressions of religion, there's a tremendous emphasis upon the mystical side of faith and having very strange experiences. What I want you to be very careful of as you go out into the world to university and your jobs, there's going to be a tremendous increase in those that are claiming that they've jumped out of this present physical world, they've been able to capture a true revelation of what's taking place in that eternal world. And I want you to be very careful to not just jump on anyone's bandwagon that claims to have those kind of experiences. I want you to know that in Jesus, in Jesus, you are ultimately going to have the most incredible experiences. You're going to see the most incredible wonders. You're going to see lights like you've never seen. You're going to see beauty like you've never seen. In fact, the book of Revelation has promised you that you're going to get face to face with the living God. You're going to be his people. You're going to be living among him. But Jesus warned us that there would be those that try to climb up another way. One of the major movements across our society now is a tremendous openness to the spiritual realm. But the tragedy of it is that many are open to the spiritual realm without the lordship, without the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And that is going to be fatal in the end. Because this holy book, the Word of God, has told us that we live on a planet that's been visited by God. And what John the Apostle is claiming is that he actually did have a real angel. He had a real servant of God. One of God's messengers, one of his servants, actually appeared to him. In fact, as we've been going through this book, many different angels have given John revelations as takes place in this kind of prophetic literature. Just like Daniel saw the angel Gabriel, John is having those same kind of experiences. He also has seen a revelation of your exalted Christ. And what he's telling us here is that these words are faithful and true. He's saying you can count on the fact that I'm an inspired prophet that's giving you this revelation. And as John winds down the book of Revelation, one of his major goals is to prove to you that this book, beginning with Genesis, closing with Revelation, this is the place where you find the words that are faithful and the words that are true. Well, I ask the question, well, how can I be sure, John, that you're telling me the truth? And he tells me the answer to that question because the Lord, the God, who's the Lord, the supreme ruler, and the infinite God who is over the spirits of the prophets has sent his messenger, his holy angel, to show John and to show his servants, which is us, the things which will soon take place. What John is claiming by that verse, John the Apostle is claiming to be part of a long line of prophets. And I want to understand that he's not just using prophet in the sense that we often use it in the modern church of someone who has a great, strong personality. They have great insight into God's word and they're able to exhort us. For example, in my own day, like Francis Schaeffer was, was often called a, a great prophet of the modern world because Francis Schaeffer had a keen mind that could study literature and he studied the word of God and he helped us as the body of Christ to have insights into what the church should be in his day in the 20th century. And now we're into the, the next century. 
So Francis Schaeffer, in fact, I even went to hear him at Moody Coliseum and, and he spoke and people would say that he has the prophetic gift. And what they really meant was that he had the ability to be very strong and straightforward and to give us insight into our day. And that's one way to use the idea of a prophet. In fact, some of you have been raised in church traditions that talk about the people in your congregation that are strong exhorters and able to have insight into how to apply God's word. You'll refer to them as those who have a prophet. You've also been taught, if you're in a biblical situation, that you always need to evaluate what those exhorters tell you based upon your own study of the word of God and allowing the spirit of God to teach you. There is an idea of God giving us people that are strong foretellers, strong exhorters. But John is not talking about that gift. John is talking about uniting himself with an Abraham. Abraham actually had visions of the living God. Abraham actually had meals with Yahweh himself. And two angels. That's when he learned about the coming of Isaac and the gift of Isaac and how Isaac was going to be born in a year. Abraham was a man that if he were here could tell you, I have actually sat down and eaten with the living God of the universe. And I believe it would be the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, before he came in Bethlehem. The Old Testament has men like Ezekiel, for example, that sees the vision of the, of the fiery throne chariot of God. If you're studying the Jewish Kabbalah, one of the major things in Jewish mysticism is to try to capture that vision of the throne of God, of the fiery chariot of God. Well, I want you to know that Ezekiel, when you're reading that prophet, Ezekiel actually experienced that for real. It was the real thing. Daniel, for example, and Daniel is right in the same prophetic area as John, giving very much the same literature. In fact, it's like Daniel wrote part one, and as we've studied the book of Revelation, John the Apostle writes part two. Daniel actually was able to predict how the, the course of the world history would go and how the different kingdoms would line up and how Babylon would give way to Medo-Persia and how Medo-Persia would give way to Greece and how Greece would give way to Rome and then how Rome would just kind of melt away and there would be a period during church history where there would be wars and rumors of wars just like Jesus predicted but there would be no real centralized authority that's able to get worldwide control until the end. Daniel was able to give those kinds of minute predictions. In fact, Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 gave the exact time when the Messiah would come the first time. He said that there would be an exact time period between the time that Nehemiah went back to rebuild the fortifications of Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince would come and present himself to his people. You say, Dave, why are you stressing those Old Testament prophets? Because one of the things that's very important and one of the reasons why I'm your pastor and why I can go and pray to Jesus and why I can do funerals and declare that, that because someone has trusted Christ based upon the promise of Jesus that we can know they're in heaven, the reason I can do that is because of the authority of the prophetic spirit. And what John is telling us, he's saying, I'm lined up with the Old Testament prophets. You say, well, Dave, how do I know that the Old Testament prophets were true? How do I know that they're not like Nostradamus? Because you can start in the book of Genesis and you can start to trace 
the different predictions that every inspired Old Testament prophet made, and you'll find that as you look at history, as you look at recorded history, every single one of those prophecies came true. Every single one. They're not 80% accurate. They're not 75% accurate. People are not ooing and aahing because they happen to make it about 92%. The Old Testament prophets that are in your Old Testament are 100% accurate. And that's why when I read a book like Revelation, I'm confident because John puts himself on the level with the same infinite God breathing through his inspired prophetic spirit and he's putting the book of Revelation on the same level as the prophecy of Daniel from the Old Testament. Why is that important to you? Because Daniel predicted history that's already taken place for us. As we study Daniel's book, there is future prophecy, but there's also a lot of historical events that Daniel predicted. And what's important about that is that as Revelation reopens the book, John jumps into a future that hasn't taken place yet. It's my future. Like, what my heavenly home's going to look like? What the ultimate world crisis is going to be? What are the things I need to be careful of? This is really important stuff. And I have to ask myself, John, how can I be sure that your words are dependable and true? And John would say to me, Dave, because I have the same Spirit of God the spirit of Yahweh from the Old Testament, the spirit of Elohim, the creator, he has breathed into me just like he breathed into the Old Testament prophets. And that's why my words are trustworthy and true. And I want to share with you from the depths of my heart, from the time I've been a little boy, I've been studying this book. And I've been thinking about it as I pray about getting ready for this week. Never in my life as I've opened up this book and found out the truth in this book, there's never been a time in my life where I had to take this book and say, I'm really sorry, on that particular verse, it was inaccurate. They just didn't have it right in that area. Now, there's been several times where as I studied the book, I realized, man, I didn't have the interpretation right. And I needed to understand it more accurately. But as I'm growing older after all of these years of studying the Word of God, I want you to know that this book is more faithful and more reliable, when I was trusted in my teen years that this was the truth, man, I was just starting out in life. I, how did I know that this would be faithful and true, that it would prove to be the accurate place to learn about spiritual realities? But boy, I can tell you, after following obedience to this book, what John is saying is the gospel truth. It is faithful, it is true. And just as certainly as all the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled about the first coming of Jesus, we can be confident as we continue to read the book of Revelation that all the prophecies about Jesus' second coming and the rapture and all that we've studied in this book of Revelation, we can be just as certain that all of those prophecies are going to be fulfilled. And that's really, really important understand. And that's what John wants to underscore. That's what he's saying. I am an inspired prophet, one with the Old Testament prophets. The Holy Spirit has come upon me, I'm, and I have shown to you, the servants of the Lord, John is saying, the things which must soon take place. 
Then we have the promise of Jesus. Because John wants you to say, well, Dave, what's the ultimate prophecy that John gives to us? And he says this, behold, Jesus is saying, and Jesus himself just kind of skips right by the inspired prophet and just uses the inspired prophet as a mouthpiece because Jesus himself says to each one of us, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I want us to be a church family that not only know intellectually the inspired truths of Scripture and not only can spell out the difference between an inspired biblical prophet and the gift of prophecy among the New Testament church, which we need to evaluate based upon this holy book. I want you not just to know that intellectually, but I also want us to be a church family that hears the words of Jesus and say, Amen, I'm ready for that to happen. Jesus just made a promise to us. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. I am coming very, very soon. And that raises a big question for me. Well, Jesus, good night. You made that promise to John back in the first century. And now we're in the 21st century. Man, that's a long time from my perspective. That's really hard. And that's why I remind you, remember what I told you when we looked at history? Remember I showed you biblically how all of history moves right after the time of Jesus. And you can think of it literally moving right to the edge of a cliff. And then you have Jesus' great redemptive work, his death on the cross, and then his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, and his promise that he's coming back. And it's like all of history moves right along the edge of a cliff. And it's very important for each one of us to understand that. We have been moving historically from God's perspective right on the edge of the cliff. Before today is over, biblically, Jesus could come for you. Jesus could come for you. You say, well, Dave, you taught us well, we all need to live like that because Jesus could come in death. We're all living in imminency. We know that. But I want you to know that Jesus is not saying, I might come for you in physical death and take you home to be with me. That is the promise he makes other places. But here he's promising what he promised Paul in 1 Corinthians and what he promised Paul in 1 Thessalonians. He's saying, as my child, I might come today for you and snatch you to be with me. And I want you to live with that kind of expectations. My dear dad is home with the Lord now, but my dad lived all of his life into his 80s. When he was in his 80s, he was telling me, I'm going to live until the coming of Jesus. You say, well, he was wrong. No, he wasn't. He lived the way Jesus is counseling us to live today. I want us to really be in prayer about that. I want you to pray for me. If I was speaking to you as a bunch of Ethiopians, what I want you to know is that Jesus is promising you today. If I was an Ethiopian, I said, Jesus could come back to you today. Because of the horrible conditions in the land, the church would be vibrating over that. The church would be so thrilled with that. In fact, I talk to missionaries around the world that talk to cultures that are under persecution. And a word like this, behold, I am coming. And blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Man, they go out saying, boy, I want to be obedient to the word of God. Because I might see Jesus at any second. And they live like that. We don't live like that, do we? We have an idea like, man, I don't want the Lord to come till until after I get married. You know, I don't want the Lord to come until after I get my job filled. I don't want the Lord to come back until I have some kids. And the Lord understands all those legitimate desires that we have. But I do want you to know, I want us to hear the word of Jesus this morning 
Behold, I am coming quickly. And therefore, if you'll keep the words in this book, you're going to be happy. That's what it means you're going to be blessed. If you will follow the words in this book, Jesus promises us that you're going to be happy and fulfilled. The third thing he talks about here is the next verse. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard them and I had seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I am the fellow servant with you and with your brother, the prophets, and all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. You say, Dave, John did the same thing back in chapter 19, verse 6. You know, here he's an inspired prophet. You just told us that his words are faithful and true. Number one, because he's, a, he's an inspired prophet. And then the Lord Jesus just directly told him, Behold, I'm coming. Jesus gave the promise to John that, that thrills his church. At any moment, Jesus could break through and receive us. We'd be caught up to be with him. We'll be snatched up to be with him. And then John bows down to the wrong object of worship. Well, one thing it shows me, one of the things I think about this, don't be too hard on John. Because if you saw an angel for real, if you saw a real angel that revealed his heavenly glory, you'd be tempted to worship too. Because when an angel reveals the radiating glory of God that radiates from their presence because they've been in the presence of God, every time that an angel reveals some of that eternal glory all the way through the word of God, people are knocked to the ground, off their feet. And so that's some of what's happening. I want you to hear the angel's words. Because some of you today say, well, man, I'm not, you know, I'm not an angel and little old me, I'm, you know, I'm ugly and I'm not sure whether God loves me. Notice what the angel says. He says, John, get off your knees. Get off your face. I want you to stand up in my presence. I'm sure John's saying, man, how can I do that? Look at the awesome, awesome presence of your might. The angel says, hey, wait a minute. I'm just a fellow servant of the living God with you. And the angel is taking John and he's putting his arms around him and says, John, you need to stand up because you're one of God's servants too. In fact, the scripture teaches us in the book of Hebrews that angels are ministering spirits to you because you are the ordained children of God. If you've trusted Christ as your savior, angels are your servants to take care of you, to minister to you, to minister protection, to take care of your kids. Ministers are sent from God. Angels are sent from God to be ministers of the body of Christ. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. And the Bible tells us that eventually, when we're exalted and we are reigning with Christ, that we will be put higher than the angels. We're going to be united with this prince of glory himself. It's very important for you to understand that. That's why you should never follow a guru here on earth. You should never go out to San Francisco, and you laugh at this, but I actually know young people that have gone to San Francisco, and they've gotten hooked into some religious guru that puts his bath, a towel on his head and a bathrobe on his back, and he walks in sandals, and he, and he has weirdo things, and he makes him take drugs, and they worship him as a god. They give all their life savings to him, and they give all of their, their goods to him, and they, they even are willing to divide their marriages following this weird cult. You say, how in, the, how in the world could that ever happen? Because every one of us are built for worship. If you reject the worship in this room, now listen carefully. If you reject the worship that you've just done this morning, 
and you don't sing praise to Jesus, and you don't get down on your face before Jesus, you don't worship Jesus, you'll think that you're walking out into non-worship material. You say, I don't worship anybody. Oh, yes, you will. In fact, I challenge every one of you to think through some of your friends that you grew up with that used to really supposedly worship Jesus. And they were into this Bible thing and into this God thing. And you look at their lives now. And if you'll analyze their life, you're going to find out that every single one of them are face down. They are face down, bowing, giving their allegiance, giving their life, giving their strength to someone or something. Everybody. You see, every one of us as human beings, we are built to be devoted to someone and to give our life to someone and, and to get caught up in a cause. Every one of us are built for that. And John the Apostle has this angel say, stand up, don't you ever bow before even an angel of God. And then he gives a very clear, straightforward command. We are only to worship God. You say, Dave, what's probably the most important idea in the whole book of Revelation? The book of Revelation is about who are you going to bow on your face before? Some of you say, well, you know, like, I really can't, I can't go to church and I can't read my Bible. I don't have time because my boss, my boss has this and this and this and this and this and this and this that I have to do. And you're worshiping at your job because your job totally controls every ethic, every standard, everything. As your pastor, because I love you, I want you to be set free from that. The worst thing in the world is to be enslaved to a boss, to be fearful, to not believe that your heavenly daddy will meet your needs. If you do a good job and the Lord blesses you, that he'll provide for you. You don't have to be a slave to anyone. And if any people on earth should know what it means to be free, we as Americans should know what it is to be free. And yet we bow before so many enslaving influences. The book of Revelation is saying there's only one person, there's only one being that a child of God ever bows before in giving their total allegiance, face down. The word proskuneo, the word for worship means that you prostrate yourself. You get down, you bow down, you kneel, you put your face down, and you put your total allegiance before them. And don't you ever do that for anyone except the living God. I want you to be standing, independent, strong, free. Because Jesus sets us free. But when it comes to worship time, when it comes to expressing our love for God, when it comes to telling him how much we love him, I want your heart to melt. I want you to let yourself be totally dependent upon him. I want myself to be totally dependent upon him. I want you to be able to just put yourself kneeling before him. In fact, something that would be really good in the privateness of your house, Daniel, three times a day, would get down, even as a public servant of Babylon, three times a day, he would get down and he would put his face in the ground and he would pray to the living God, to Yahweh. That's a good posture. Some of us need to get totally down on our face, totally down on our knees, and say, God, we worship you. If you want to be free as you go out into the day, if you want to be free as you're living your life in school and at work, the pathway to freedom is becoming a total worshiping servant of the living God. Worship God. 
Think about the words that we sing and the adoration that we gave to Jesus. We talked about his beauty. We talked about his power. We talked about his redemption today. One of the things I want to really encourage you to do, and I want you to pray for me in this area, let's be really careful that we focus our hearts on the words that we're singing. And let's let those words flow from deep inside of us. God doesn't care what your voice sounds like right now. One day your voice will sound like the best tenor or the best soprano that ever lived. God can take care of all that, but he loves for us as his children to really worship him and worship him alone. He closes with this. He says, then he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. He says, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile, who is dirty, continue to be dirty and vile. Let him who does right continue to do right and let him who is holy continue to be holy. Those are really strange words. You say, Dave, you mean to tell me that John is saying, if, if you're dirty, go ahead and just continue to be dirty. If you're an unbelieving person, just stay that way. And if you're holy, if you're righteous, then continue in that way. That's a strange preacher. You know, most preachers are telling us, no, come on, you need to be righteous. You need to be good. You need to respond. Well, I want you to know that God is not telling you that the invitation's over. So stay with me. In fact, the book of Revelation is going to close If you want to drink of the living water, you can come. But I want to really level with you as you close. You know, God is above time. God knows the past, the present, and the future. I've often talked to you like that. You know what that means? It means God's not controlling you. He's not manipulating you. But I got news for you. God knows every single detail of your past, present, and future. That's the God that presented in the Bible. You know what that means? That means that like God in the Old Testament knew that Pharaoh would be the kind of a man that he would be. God could tell Moses before Moses even went down and God never manipulated Pharaoh. God never made Pharaoh do anything. But because God is the infinite, omniscient God, he knew everything that would happen in Pharaoh's life and the children of Israel's life. And I want you to think about that's the God you have to deal with. And and I want you to know something. Like from the time I was a little boy, when I heard somebody talking like I'm talking now, there was a voice inside of me that says, that's the truth. When my dad presented the gospel to me when I was five years of age and I was sitting over there not paying attention and all of a sudden I started paying attention, there was a voice inside of me saying, this is the truth, you need to believe it. As a little kid, I said, I'm going to believe it. And I can remember one time after another, I remember campfire services, I used to travel with my dad, I remember my dad preaching. There were times I heard like, uh, Cliff Barrow speak, Billy Graham song leader, and, and I would hear different Bible teachers at this, the high school I went. I can look back over my life, and throughout my life, there's been the voice of the Holy Spirit talking to me. I didn't always obey it, but the voice was always speaking, and the voice always called me back eventually to being committed to Christ. That's what John means. Let him who's holy who respond to the voice of Jesus and let Jesus come into his life, which is the only way we can be holy. Let them continue to be holy. But you know what? John is also telling you, there are those people that don't hear the voice of God. Or they hear it and they repeatedly reject it. They don't respond to it. And their character, deep in their character, they're settled in that. That's why he uses the word, let those that are vile be vile. You say, what are they talking about? There's a whole group of people in the world, they love dirty jokes. There are people in the world that love profanity, 
They love vileness. That's why it comes out in the, in the media, why it comes out in the art world. They are committed to that. And brothers and sisters, there can come a time where someone that's committed to vileness has made a choice to be committed to that and the voice of the Holy Spirit says, that's it. No more call. And he just lets them stay settled. That's what this book of Revelation has been about. It's saying that there are those that choose to join Antichrist. They choose to get his mark. And what John is saying, they're going to be vile right to the end. You know, if I was sitting in the audience where you're sitting, that would scare me to death. If I was a kid or if I was a teenager, if I was an adult that was really not into this Jesus thing, that would scare me. And it, would, it should scare me, just like it should scare me to turn into oncoming cars, just like it should scare me to jump over cliffs. John is saying something really important. He's saying that you decide what you're going to be as a person. Some of you are going to be committed to holiness and being obedient to Christ and responding to him. And it doesn't mean that you don't have ups and downs, but it means that the center core of your life is you're responding to Jesus. It says there's going to be another group Another group in the world that they love vileness. They love impurity. And Jesus says they're going to do it right to the end. And they're going to be justly condemned. Now you can get mad at God. You say, well, I don't like that. In fact, if you get really mad at God, that's a really good evidence that you're not responding to his love. Because I want you to know, he's saying, if you want to come and drink from my water, I'll clean your vileness. If you want to take from the blood of Jesus, if you want to receive me into my life, if you want to read my word, if you want to love for the book of Revelation, I'll pour it into your life. But you know what he's saying? He's telling the truth. Is there are those that just have a settled conviction that's not where I'm at. And I love the fact that the Bible is honest enough to tell us that as we go out into the world, there are going to be those, like Hitler would be at a very strong extreme, who was committed to murder, committed to vileness, committed to impurity in the book of Revelation saying they're going to go right to the end of their day, commit suicide probably in the end, and they're going to be lost forever. There are those kind of people. Brothers and sisters, I don't think any of us on earth know who those people are. I don't think any human being can say that we know. But God does. And what John wants to get across to you is don't play with the book of Revelation. He's saying, Dave, don't play with this book. Be obedient to it. Read it carefully. Allow the Holy Spirit, that, that incredible Spirit of God inside of you, let him enable you to be obedient so that those who are committed to this Jesus will stay committed. Because see, that's the positive side. Just as certainly as there are those that harden themselves in vileness, there are those that soften themselves in the beauty of God's love. That's the challenge to us as we're closing this book. We've got a prophetic message that's true, number one. We've got a promise that Jesus Christ is coming back, number two. We've got a command to never bow before anyone, never get down on our face before anyone in absolute adoration and wonder except our living God. And every Sunday we can be motivated together to do that, to worship Him with all of our might. But thirdly, John is warning us, there are two big groups, those that have soft hearts towards Jesus and therefore become holy and grow in that commitment, and there's those that harden themselves. And he's challenging us, before you reach that state where your heart is too hard, please respond to the promise of Jesus.